The last book in the Bible, Revelation, the third chapter, beginning to read at the 14th verse. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not knowing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Therefore I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, that you may be rich and white garments to clothe you and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen, and salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and chasten, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. He who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. <clears throat> Approximately 175 years ago, the English poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge one day was reading a graphic description about that magnificent palace of the ancient emperor of China, Kublai Khan. And when he was finished reading, he fell asleep. And he dreamed a vivid adventure in that mysterious land of the Orient. And when he awoke, he felt inspired to write a poem. Now he had the complete thought in his mind. He could see the beginning from the end. He knew everything that he wanted to say, so with pen in hand, he began to write down his inspiration. And he had only written a few lines when there came a knock at the door, and he was interrupted by the famous man from Porlock. He was called out on an urgent business. It took him only one hour away from his desk, but when he came back, his mind was a blank. He could not recall one word of his inspiration, and when he died, that poem, Kublai Khan, still was not completed. 
that great masterpiece was interrupted by the man from Porlock. Interruptions, we all know what they are, don't we? Life is full of costly and annoying interruptions. We've all heard the knock from the man from Porlock. You have your life all set before you. Everything looks like go. You're on your way and suddenly there comes a knock at the door which brings with it a siege, siege of sickness. And your life is interrupted. You have money set aside to send the kids to college. Everything's going well and then comes the man from Porlock. Financial reversals. And your plan goes up in smoke. You attach your life with that God-given affection called love. And death knocks at the door. And there's an interruption. Let's face it, if you're ever going to find the meaning of happiness, it will depend on what you do with the man from Porlock. How you deal with the interruptions that come into your life. And when you begin to think about it, there are only three things that you can do from any man from Porlock. Only three things, or at least three basic things. There are probably other variations. First of all, when the man from Porlock knocks, you can become embittered at him. Yes, when that interruption comes, you can accept it with resentment, bitterness, anger, and find from that moment on a built-in excuse where you can pity yourself and tell once and for all why it is you can never become the person you want to become or do the things you want to do because it's that man from Porlock. Especially do people find themselves embittered at that man from Porlock when they build their idea upon the misconceived concept that the ideal life is the unruffled life and that the only goal in life is to be serene and happy and that divine providence and guidance means that you will never have any trouble and that you have protection from all types of anxiety. I hope no one here today has that belief about life because that is not biblically sound nor is it right. Nowhere, nowhere does the Bible give you the impression that life was intended to be lived without any trouble. No, no, you'd be surprised, though, the number of people who think because they believe in Jesus Christ, no trouble will ever come to them. That's just not true. Search your Bible and you'll find that those biblical characters had lives that were filled with unexpected storms. 
When you believe in Jesus Christ, that does not mean that the man from Porlock will stay away from your front door. It means when he comes, though, you have a faith, a strength to be able to answer him correctly. Yet I talk to a lot of people who think that the moment the man from Porlock knocks at the front door, God or Jesus Christ have gone out the back door. People who, who become embittered at the interruption. It's only a matter of time until they become very brittle. And when you become very brittle, it's only a matter of time until you break. That's what mental health is saying to us today. That unless we have some resiliency within our life, unless we are able to bend as does the giant oak when the great winds blow, we're going to break, if not physically, mentally, or spiritually. It's Dale Carnegie who tells us about when we began to first produce and manufacture automobile tires, the idea was that we were to make them rigid and strong so that they could withstand the shock. Now, some of you people I remember, or can probably remember those particular days when the tires were hard as rocks it didn't work because as soon as you hit a pothole in those days the tire retired and the wheel warped and the spring sprang so they began to get the idea that instead of trying to resist the shock rather absorb it and we began to inflate tires and we still produce them that way and they're able to withstand the shock, except that pothole on Bakerstown Road. No, nothing can stand that. You've hit it too, have you? That's the way life is to be lived. And if we have this concept that everything is to be quiet and serene without any interruptions, we're going to break. But of course, you can, as can anyone, accept the interruption and accept the interruption and consider the knock from the man as Porlock as a time to become embittered. That's one way. The second way is that when that man from Porlock knocks, you don't become embittered at him, you just endure him. Just endure him. You, you, you don't really get excited, you don't become embittered, you don't get enthralled, you find no enlightenment, you, you just endure him like you would a headache or a stomachache or a sunburn. You really never know whether or not he means you good or evil, whether he comes to help you or hurt you, it really doesn't matter, just, just endure him. Such an uneventful life. Reminds me of that Chinese proverb and parable, you, you, you've heard it I'm sure before, about the ancient man, old man, who had a very young son and they lived in a vacated fort. And one day the man's horse, his only horse, ran away. And all of his Chinese neighbors gathered around and consoled him by 
comforting him with the words how sorry they were for his ill fortune. And the old Chinaman said, Dalsola, how do you know that this is bad fortune? And sure enough, in a week, the horse came home and he brought with him a whole herd of wild horses. And all of the people, when they're out helping the man round up his new herd, they congratulated him on his good fortune. And he said, how do you know this is good fortune? Six months later, the young boy was trying to learn to ride one of those wild horses and he was thrown and he broke his leg and he was a crippled. And the Chinese chorus came back and said to the wise old man, we're very sorry for your bad luck. And he said to them, how do you know this is bad luck? Ten days later, a warlord came through the area and he conscripted all of the young able-bodied men to go and fight in his private war. And all of the people who had lost their sons came to the old man and congratulated him on his good luck in that the boy, his boy, didn't have to go because he was crippled. And the enduring wise old man said, how do you know this is good luck? And that's the end of the parable. But you see, it could go on and on and on and on. So unexciting, so uninviting, so enduring, so blah. And that is exactly a way that you can accept the knock from the man from Porlock. It's your choice. You can either become embittered with him or at him. You can endure him, or I think which is the Christian and biblical way, you can employ him. Put him to work. When he comes, use him to your advantage. Allow him to work for you and use that interruption for the good. That's what Jesus did. Yes. You read the history in the Gospels and you'll find that Jesus really couldn't go anywhere or say anything without being interrupted. If it wasn't the blind beggar, it was the woman at the well or the woman who had an issue of blood flowing from her and poor Jesus. Here he was in the midst of a sermon and he was trying to get his teaching out and he was interrupted. But that never bothered him. He always used that interruption as a divine opportunity and he used it to heighten his particular teaching. You remember the day when the Pharisees came and were criticizing our Lord for his manners, for associating with people who really didn't have a very good name and who were not on a Presbyterian church roll? And our Lord uh, took their accusations, their innuendos and insinuations. He didn't become embittered by them, nor did he just endure them. But especially that one which we find in, in, in the Luke's 15th chapter, Jesus took those innuendos and insinuations and he employed them and took them and brought about three of the greatest parables 
that we know, and especially that one we all love, the prodigal son parable, came out of that particular context. You see, Jesus took every interruption and took it as a divine opportunity and employed those circumstances to work for his benefit and to allow the kingdom of God to work for the good. And not only Jesus, but his disciples as well. Read in the book of Acts how those live human beings took their interruptions, their knocks at the door from their men of Porlock. Yeah, they took them and they threw them in jail, you know. That didn't deter those particular disciples. They took that interruption and they turned that jailhouse into a revival meeting and they converted the jailer. They were arrested and brought before the courts. They turned that courtroom into a church and that witness stand into a pulpit. They took Paul and they thought they could silence him by throwing him in jail and he turned that jail place into a workshop from which he produced most of the New Testament. These people teach us that every disappointment can be a new door, every interruption a divine opportunity, every frustration a stimulation for something new. That's wonderful. J. Wallace Hamilton, whose writings have been a great inspiration to me, former pastor of the Pasadena Community Church down in St. Petersburg, Florida. I know some of you have worshipped in that great congregation. The Lord called Dr. Hamilton home some time ago, but his writings still just fire me up to no end. He points out that some of the greatest pieces of music that we have have been the results or have come from the result of individuals who have had their lives interrupted with sadness. And he points out that everything from Handel's Messiah to Ave Maria to Goodnight Irene, all of these have been the result of people using their particular interruptions as inspirations to move on to greater things past week, looking for something to tie this sermon together, I, I read about a man who was employed in one of our big companies, that he was kind of a pest. You know, some of you work with those kind of people. He was an intrusive sort of a fellow, always interrupting, always putting his oar in before it was asked for. The president of the company didn't know what to do, he didn't want to fire him, yet he was causing too much interruption in the workings of the everyday factory. So he promoted this man, came up with the unique idea of calling him an advisor, and said, now as long as you help this company and we can make money, we'll see that we increase your salary a thousand dollars a year. And they gave him this office way off by himself and called in talked with him every once in a while the end of five years and after five raises totaling $5,000, he asked for permission to see his boss and he said he thanked him very much for the honor, for the money, but he was somewhat upset because in five years every suggestion that he had made, the company had not adopted one of them. 
And he wondered about his capacity as an advisor, and the boss reminded him, he said, remember when we gave you this promotion and offered you this increase? We said, as long as you helped our company make money, we would keep you on, and you have. Yes, but you haven't accepted one thing that I've told you to do. He said, no, but we've called you in every time we've had a new idea, and we've asked your advice, and we've done just the opposite, and we've made money galore. You see, it's a unique way of dealing with situations that interrupt our lives. And though it may be taken somewhat out of context, I think this is what Jesus Christ was talking about when, through the interpretation of the writer of Revelation, the Spirit speaks unto the churches and says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears me and opens the door, cooperates with me, you see, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. This sermon was chosen for this particular day because, you know, maybe you don't know or realize it, this is a very unique day in the life of our world. Yes, today is Leap Day. But not only that, probably if you're not a minister or a business manager of a church, you wouldn't realize it, but this is the fifth Sunday in February, and February only has five Sundays once every 28 years. Yes, hasn't happened any time that I've been in the ministry. This day is unique. You see, it has interrupted our schedule. Last happened in 1948, it won't happen again until the year 2004. This is a unique day. Nobody, or very few people, ever experience a February with five Sundays more than three times in their whole lives. So it's a unique day. It's a day that is knocking upon us and I think giving us a time when we can employ this particular experience and use it for the good. And on this Sunday, before another Lenten period, I would hope that I am creative. I hope I'm doing like that boss with his interruptive employee. When with this interruption, I'm trying to say unto you, this is a special day in your life. This is a day, no matter what you have on your mind or what interruption you are experiencing in your life, when just maybe Jesus Christ is knocking. We of the Christian faith, you see, cannot take the man from Porlock and merely resent him and become embittered at him, nor can we just endure him. Because if we believe in the living spirit of Christ, the man from Porlock could very well be the man from Palestine. And that interruption in our lives today may really be the invitation that God has in calling us to something new and wonderful and great.
I would hope you would find yourself in worship every Sunday during this Lent season and allow the Spirit of the Living Christ to tap upon your heart and to speak to you. Amen. Father, you work in mysterious ways your wonders always to perform. When you are working, we least suspect you. And Father, help us to see that even when our serene lives are interrupted, that is merely the invitation you have in calling us to some new service and some new experience of greatness. Help us to have the courage to open that door and to employ your wisdom, guidance, and love. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of his Holy Spirit be and abide with you all now and forevermore, even during your interruption this day. Amen.